It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app and then type in either one of those coordinates plus E-L-M-N-T-F-M and uh, then listen on your device of choice uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show Charlene Bearhead. She is the National Reconciliation Director at Canadian Geographic and the lead educator on the Indigenous Atlas of Canada. And that is uh, why we are actually speaking with Charlene today. Uh, it, it, is it a bit of a of a uh, of an anniversary for the the Atlas at all, uh, Charlene? Well, it's been two years since the Atlas was released, and but it's actually been four years since the beginning of the process. So yeah, mm. it's it's a significant time. It sure is, and quite a, an accomplishment. And and what a great uh, four a book of, of four people can uh, can go online to check that out as well. And we did uh, have you on Moment of Truth, uh, I, I guess, almost a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And talking about uh, the the uh, the atlas at that point in time, and of course, when we we were uh, when we uh, were in the station, uh, allowed to be in the station at that point in time, um, the atlas also and and Canadian Geographic has a massive massive uh, uh, map that lays out. It's, I'm not even sure the dimensions. Do you do you know how large of a map that is? Well, we actually call it the giant floor map, yeah, <laughs> and it's the size of a school gymnasium. Yeah, so it is quite uh, big. You're able to walk on it. I understand there's a few of them, right? They travel around. Yes, at the time that um, the Indigenous Peoples Atlas of Canada was produced and the giant floor map was created, we had five of the giant floor maps that toured the country. So mm. that means at schools, mostly schools, but also in off times um, where there's no school community organizations can borrow the map for a short term between two to four weeks uh, and at no cost. But mm. there was such huge, huge demand for this particular giant floor map with the <laughs> Indigenous Peoples Atlas of Canada because of the complexity and the numbers of layers and just so mm. much potential to learn that we chose to make it available um, for purchase, mm. it costs just over five thousand dollars, and actually, the original cost of those is for for the ones that um, Kangio usually produces. It costs around ten thousand dollars for the learning kit and the map. Mm. But because of the demand, we've sold over seventy um, already in the country, and so it brought the cost down to five thousand dollars. <laughs> That's so great. People can purchase them. And who is purchasing them, and where are they going? It's actually really incredible and, and it's exciting and hopeful in, in my view. So school districts are buying them, teachers associations, federations, unions are buying them, universities are buying them, community organizations. And one of the things that I've seen that I, I feel like is really beautiful is I've seen um, industry partners and in communities, corporations, uh, companies, and even parent councils mm. in schools and school districts purchasing them for schools and purchasing them for school districts. And it gives the organizations that are purchasing the opportunity to respond to the cost to action of the TRC and get involved. Mm. It gives them an opportunity to support Indigenous education for all students because all students and teachers and community members need to learn. And then one of the things that I've seen that's been really great too is that then the school districts um, that receive 
the giant floor maps and the education guides as a gift. Do learning and teaching sessions for the staffs of those organizations so that they too learn more about Indigenous people in the country and in their territory. That's that's pretty cool, and I guess what what is really neat about the idea of these these giant maps getting, getting sold and getting uh, uh, shared across the country is that it, it's a physical piece of, of something that people can actually uh, stand on, get have a sort of a. A, 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 a macro uh, sort of look at their specific area to see the the communities, the nations of people, uh, the territories, those kind of things uh, that are in their their area. Because the maps, the map that is is generated, it's without provinces, correct? Yes, absolutely, and and that was one of the really amazing, beautiful, hopeful things about the whole process. Um, you know, in the beginning, we we brought together a group of Indigenous educators. Um, and when I say that, I mean, some that are certificated teachers and some that are knowledge keepers and elders and, and community members, as well as some ally teachers from across the country um, to envision what this might look like. And in the beginning, you know, um, you always hope. And so we said it would be really great if, this is the Indigenous People's Atlas of Canada. It would be really great if <laughs> the ever-present provinces and territories were really, really faint. Mm. And we were so excited. And some of some of the contributors were so t moved, and it was just so touching that people were in tears when they saw mm. what the cartographer came up with. Mm. Um, and it, it was that there were no provincial and territorial boundaries, which has created a really interesting and unique experience for almost everyone that engages with it. Mm. Oh, I love that you talk about people walking on it, but actually what ends up happening is people start crawling on it. <laughs> people get down to it. They, yeah. You see people go to where they're from or where they have a connection to, and right. they, they sit down. And historically, and I'm going to say recently historically, as in only in the last hundred years or so, what happens because of the way cartography has taken place, I'm just going to say in, mm. in this country, um, you see things that are quite colonial and Western in nature. So it's been really interesting to watch Indigenous and non-Indigenous people on this map together because you see many, not all, but many non-Indigenous people looking pretty lost to start with and trying <laughs> to find something because what do people generally go to? Right. The provincial boundaries, mm -hmm. major cities that they know, capital cities as points of reference. Mm. But so often we see non-Indigenous people asking because indigenous people for the most part come onto the map and see their communities that maybe have never shown up on most maps before mm -hmm. or you know the residential schools that their families were forced to attend or whatever the case might be and so it gets these incredible conversations going as well where you see off mostly non-indigenous people really learning and really you know holding on to every word as as indigenous people that are just People on the map with them are sharing. 
So it's pretty incredible. You, you mentioned uh, conversations get started, but I guess a lot of questions get uh, raised as well. And then what a perfect opportunity to say, well, let's go find those answers. Let's go look at the People's Atlas, the Indigenous People's Atlas, uh, which is a perfect way to launch into the to that uh, a, a group of books uh, uh, that are that are uh, laid out specifically. Uh, and do you want to break them down for us so people are, are you know, reacquainted with, with how it all works? Yeah, absolutely. So there's the First Nation volume, there's the Métis volume, there's the Inuit volume, and then there's a volume that's called Reconciliation, and it's um, partially survivor stories and the story of residential schools, and then the other half of the book is maps, like smaller versions mm. of, you know, on pieces of the maps. Um, so in those, I think not only, as you said, is there so much information, I think there's really incredible more. I would, I would venture to say there's more information broadly around First Nation, Métis, and Inuit than there is in any other one place. And I'm just mm. going to say, you know, in one place when you talk about the this four-volume set. Because, of course, there are other books and writings and resources that have been created by individuals from mm. those nations or, or, mm. or the nations themselves. But the way it's laid out, I think you can learn so much just from looking at each volume. Because one of the things that I really appreciated about Canadian Geographic's approach, and in fact, the reason that I accepted the position later um, as Director of Reconciliation, is because it was a very respectful approach. And so Assembly of First Nations led the First Nation volume. So First Nations decided not only what would be in the, in the volume, but how it would be structured. And there are basically two page um, spreads on particular topics. The Métis decided what was going to be most important, what were the things they wanted in their volume, how that would be structured, who the contributors would be. And then ITK, Inuit Piriat Kanatami, also led the Inuit volume and they made the decisions there. Um, and so what I really appreciate about this is it's not that Canadian Geographic said, we're going to have a section on housing, we're going to have a section on clothing, we're going to have a section on you know shelter, mm -hmm. we're going to have a section on protocols, and everybody filled in. So the volumes are unique to the nations, and there are it's a really, I think, brilliant starting point. So when you go in and read, so for example, you may be in the Inuit volume and looking at relocation. And so there's so much information that most Canadians don't even know, even on that two pages. Mm. But it also, as you spoke to earlier, brings up even more questions. Mm. And so people start to really search and seek out truth and learn more. And, and what a wonderful uh, a set of books to be able to do that with. Um, you know, I, I do remember when the, the Atlas was launched that uh, that conversation came up uh, looking at the map and, and talking about the, the uh, series of books within the Atlas. And, and exactly what you just said, this is not uh, a be-all and end-all. It's not an answer for all the questions. It's a starting place. Exactly. And that was wonderful. And speaking of starting, uh, I understand that uh, the books have gone out across the country to the library systems. It was really quite exciting that before the books even hit the shelves, um, it was a number one bestseller in Canada. Mm. There have been over 20,000 
sets, uh, the four volume sets uh, purchased so far, which makes it a bestseller four times over in this country. <laughs> and and it is a start, and t- and that's fantastic, like to be a bestseller. Mm. But twenty thousand, we think about how many Canadians there are. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think that's also a start. So that lets <laughs> us know that there are still millions of Canadians that can benefit mm. from the knowledge, from the information, from the you know the sharing um, of First Nation, Inuit, and Métis in in these four volume sets. Right. And who knows? I mean, I'm not going to say that I know anything about this, but who knows what might actually be brewing right now. Um, behind the scenes with different nations that have felt that this was a really excellent and respectful and honorable way to move forward. And who knows what might be happening in the future to Mm. add to that. (laughs) Okay. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in uh, 106.5 or 95.7 and E-L-M-N-T-F-M, and then listen on your device of choice uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's a pleasure to have with us on the show Charlene Bearhead, and she is the National Reconciliation Director of Canadian Geographic and a lead educator uh, on the Indigenous Atlas of Canada. And that is what we're talking about. Uh, into its second year, uh, uh, as Charlene just mentioned, uh, 20,000 copies right off the bat were sold, making it a, bex- a bestseller in Canada, and uh, putting it into the library systems. And also, uh, if, if we want to get into the provincial level, as, uh, I understand that some provinces and provincial governments have purchased them for for schools, for so that every school would have a copy. Actually, yes. And as I sit here uh, in my home in Alberta, speaking with you, um, in fact, the government of Alberta, um, the previous government in Alberta, purchased sixteen hundred copies wow. of the four volume set to make sure that they were in every junior and senior high school in the province. Wow, that's that's great. That's very impressive. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a nice uh, nice way for that to start. Um, because as you said, with the, what, 36 million or so Canadians that uh, live in the country, uh, getting uh, even the 20,000 copies that it sold, as you mentioned right off the bat, it is a, just a starting point. Absolutely, uh, Charlene. What have you been hearing uh, since since the launch of this, and now in, you know it's been a couple of years. What have, what kind of feedback have you been hearing? It's been really positive, and in fact, I still get emails and texts and calls from people in you know different community organizations and education organizations and faculties at universities from all across across the country, all the time hmm. asking. Where can I buy the giant floor map? Um, how do I connect with this? Um, I see the four volume set is still available. Is there going? You know, can is it still really, really relevant? We think it's fantastic. Um, yeah, so we're really getting just so many. It's it's actually kind of shocking that there's still lots of people who don't know about it. Mm. But as people find it in other places and in, in library systems, you know, in their in the classrooms, in their schools. We have families as well and and just people all across the country reaching out saying, hey, this is still going to be available, right? We really need to get more of these in our systems. Mm -hmm. 
and and that volume set we're talking about is the Indigenous Peoples Atlas of Canada. It's a four-volume set, uh, and inside that uh, set you will find uh, one called Truth and Reconciliation, one First Nations, one Inuit, and one Métis, and uh, some great knowledge on each of those areas. Uh, Charlene, if you don't mind me asking, I, I don't remember if we, we talked about this previously, but the logo that the Atlas uses, uh, who designed that and, and what can you tell us about that? So it was uh, Vincent Design and uh, an Indigenous designer. And it's, I mean, that's another whole interview. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we could talk for 20 minutes about the logo because of the elements in mm, it. Mm -hmm. So there are the First Nation, Métis, Inuit, significant, mm -hmm. um, you know, some of those significant animals and mm -hmm. designs. Um, it, yeah, that, that would take us a whole 20 minutes to talk about <laughs> the logo. But in the education materials mm -hmm. that go with the giant floor map, yep. there's actually uh, lessons built around that and learning built around that, around the symbolism in mm. the logo. Mm. Now, we have been talking a little bit about the, the giant maps that uh, were created for the, the launch of this, which have, have since uh, been turned into a, an item for sale, which has done really well, as you mentioned. Um, so where can people get that then? Do they go to the to the uh, Indigenous Atlas uh, website? Is it is it there? You can get it obviously through Kitscan Press. Okay, uh, Nelson. Right. Yep, and and you can also reach out directly to Canadian Geographic, and they will also hook you up. Or okay. you can reach out to me, and I can connect. <laughs> okay. Um, now, can we talk a little bit about the website because you know there's some there's some interesting stuff on the website as well. Well, you can access um, most parts. So there's the website mm -hmm. that you can access um, segments of the, you know, some people want to actually just take out segments, especially in education and work on some of those two page spreads that I talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can access all of that online. You can access the tiled map. So you can actually, people can print out the tiled map in sections mm -hmm. in the eight and a half by 11 sections. There's also an app that um, you can download onto your phone or your device so that if you're in a particular territory and you would like to um, acknowledge the territory, if you're going to be speaking there, mm -hmm. or if you just want to know um, the territory oh, nice. that you're in, you can actually download the I, it's IPAC, Indigenous Peoples Atlas of Canada, um, app and you just type in your location and it will come up and say um, I'd like to acknowledge that I'm in the territory of and there's also a section that if you are in that territory and in discussions with the people there that you would like to um, you know that there's some discussion about well there might be a nation that's missed or there might be some more information that hmm. so for example um, in Mi'kmaq in hmm. Mi'kmaq territory people are taking back their name Ulnu so mm. people might suggest you could update that. Mm. So there's a section where it says see a problem and you can actually type that in. And then the Canadian Geographic team members that are monitoring that will update that after they research to make sure it's accurate. That's really cool. 
That Whoa. is really cool. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I think that's wonderful that, that you're given that opportunity to, through the app, to be able to find acknowledgments of the territory that you're in for people. I know that is something, of course, that we hear a lot about. People want to make those acknowledgments. And we're hearing a lot, uh, a lot of, of that happening uh, everywhere. So uh, that, that's great. Uh, that's great that you're able to share that. Uh, so anybody wanting that information, you can download the, the Indigenous People, uh, People's Atlas of Canada app and you'll find out how that can, might be of service to you, as well as if you go to the, uh, to the uh, Indigenous Peoples Atlas of Canada, uh, uh, uh website, you can find out more about the book uh, and the, uh, the series of books uh, within the Atlas to see if this is uh, something that you would like to purchase, maybe gift to someone. Of course, you can, uh, you can order it online right through the, uh, through the website as well. And there's some other great stuff on there as well. Um, I see that there, there's the the forwards are available online as well. Yes, that's great. Yeah. So there's something you know because it's visually so gorgeous, mm. and it, it there's I don't know there's maybe it's because I'm old, but I find that <laughs> most people really love to also have the books. Mm -hmm. They're really really beautiful, mm -hmm. and for quick access, but. It's fantastic to have both. And because the website gives you access to all of the information, uh, and as you said, the forwards, um, give, giving a lot of context, the maps, the learning modules that go with it. So you can access it then at no cost, anytime, um, anywhere, as long as you have internet access. Right. And, and so it's it was really the goal to make it as accessible as possible to as many people as possible, because we know maybe even more now um, with what's happening in this country, in the world today, maybe even more than we knew two years ago after the um, mm. you know, Truth and Reconciliation Commission, mm. that every Canadian needs to know whose territory they live in, who their neighbors are, whose homelands they reside in um, and to build those relationships so that there's respect and it's a safe environment for everyone. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I can't think of a, a better conversation at this point in time, uh, Charlene, that we're having on this Indigenous Peoples Atlas of Canada uh, because, of course, it's uh, Indigenous Peoples History Month uh, through June, so it's great that we are sharing this with everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's a good good reminder every year at this time, and with it being National Indigenous Peoples Month, a great time to sort of re-energize and revitalize and remind ourselves that we need to be doing this learning all year long, and we need to have these relationships all year long and ongoing, mm. and that's how we're going to build a better country for everyone. And not to mention, of course, with uh, schools being being uh, closed uh, and we're all uh, uh, social distancing, physically distancing and, and not being able to get to libraries at the moment might be a perfect opportunity for you, one, to go and check out the, the website, but also order yourself a copy of the Atlas and maybe even one of those giant maps that would be cool to have. <laughs> and right now, in fact, today, as part of Indigenous Peoples, Atlas, uh, Indigenous Peoples Month, um, Canadian Geographic Education is featuring and launching a, a video today mm. about the Indigenous Peoples Atlas of Canada. Oh, really? Yeah, on their online classroom. And so there's a series of three videos talking about 
um, Indigenous Peoples Atlas of Canada and and the giant floor map and the education for those very reasons that no matter where children are and teachers are and no matter what you know families are working through in this time of COVID and beyond uh, to educate their children online, that's available on the online classroom. All right. And that's through Canadian Geographic. Yes. Canadian Geographic oh. Education. Yeah. Nice. Okay. That's great. Uh, Charlene, anything else you'd like to add that you think is important before we wrap things up? I just want to thank people for continuing to be open and seeking truth. And this is a great way to do that. Um, so I just encourage people to get out there and find the atlases and go online and find ways to get those giant floor maps in <laughs> schools and communities so that we can continue to do better as mm. we know better. Mm. All right. That's that's great. Nyawa uh, miigwech and Wanishi for uh, taking the time to be on the show with us today. Mm. Charlene Bearhead, she is the National Reconciliation Director at Canadian Geographic and lead educator on the Indigenous Atlas of Canada. It's been a pleasure to have her on the show. And uh, that is this part of the show, so please do not go away because we will be right back with more right after this. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And that is 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, or anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, then type in those coordinates, one of the two, as well as ELMNTFM, and you can listen on your device of choice, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And while we're on that, I'd just like to let you know that if you have missed one of our interviews, one of the conversations we have here on Moment of Truth, they are uploaded to our SoundCloud. And you can also listen at uh, e our, our, on our website at elementfm. .ca, and uh, you can pick your desired station, whether it be the Ottawa station or the Toronto station. And uh, so you can do that. You can pass that along to people that might want to have heard one of our previous uh, interviews that we've done here on Moment of Truth, just like we're doing right now. And our guest here with us today is uh, Andrew Lockheed. And he is here because we he's actually started a, a petition to get Dundas Street in Toronto renamed. Uh, Andrew, it's a pleasure to have you here with us. David, thanks so much for having me on today. Uh, so I have to ask you, were, were you a little surprised at how this uh, p petition idea that you, you started uh, sort of took off? Honestly, um, yeah, I've been very surprised, but pleasantly so. Of course, um, yeah. You know, I think it's really important, uh, particularly now, uh, as we uh, uh, try as a, as a broader uh, society to move towards uh, a reconciliation and healing mm. process, that we continue to examine uh, the legacy of colonialism, mm. in particular within our street names mm. and how that relates to our present day. Andrew, you sound like you're well-informed, if you don't mind me saying so, about these things. What, what, what's your association, if at all, with uh, reconciliation? Or, or just uh, are you just a concerned Canadian citizen? What, is there a tie in there? Um, you know, I've, I've worked for a long time, uh, David, as a, as a professional artist and mm. uh, an arts facilitator. Mm. Uh, so I have had uh, some experience 
dealing uh, particularly uh, with providing a, a platform uh, for uh, indigenous artists and community groups, um, in, in particular uh, with an eye towards uh, sharing the messages of the uh, uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Mm. Uh, but for this particular work, uh, you know, I am uh, just a concerned Torontonian and, uh, and, you know, as I like to describe it, friendly neighborhood amateur historian. <laughs> uh, so uh, so it's, it's been a learning process for me as well uh, to navigate this uh, a particular issue. Um, but I think it's an important conversation that we need to be having with ourselves right now. Hmm. So, for those people that may not be familiar with it or listening outside of the, you know, the GTA area, um, give, can you give us the background story as to why you, you thought this was important? What triggered you to, to say, we need to get this done? Sure. So, um, you know, the petition really grew out of a, uh, a conversation I was having online with some friends uh, regarding the uh, removal of the Edward Colston statue in Bristol in the United Kingdom mm. in, uh, in England there. And, uh, and if, for those of you who might not know the story, Edward Colston was a notorious slave trader in Bristol, um, who, uh, yeah, his statue was erected in the middle of town as he had, uh, you know, um, been a kind of local philanthropist as well. Mm. Mm. Um, there had been long calls for that statue to disappear uh, from public. And uh, eventually, during the Black Lives Matter protests in that city just over a week ago, it was pulled down by protesters and thrown in the harbor. Mm. And uh, whilst we were reading about this story, um, we also came across a short mention of a similar movement in Edinburgh, Scotland, right. uh, that sought to uh, remove the Melville Monument, a 42-meter column that stands in the center of Edinburgh, uh, dedicated to Viscount Melville, Henry Dundas. Mm. Now, I happened to recognize that that Henry Dundas, I knew, was the Dundas for whom Dundas Street was named. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, if that conversation is happening in Scotland, I think it's also important that we have it here. Mm. It's been very exciting to see how, uh, as you mentioned, how that uh, the petition is spread, but also a broader historical awareness of Dundas's legacy. Uh, there are now similar movements uh, active in Australia, uh, as well as other Dundas-named communities uh, here in Ontario uh, or who also have Dundas streets. Mm. Uh, so it's been been really amazing uh, to see this kind of go on like that. And, you know, Dundas Street is not a short street. It, it does. Uh, highway, it's Highway 2, I believe, isn't it? Yeah, highway it five? forms the basis highway of Highway 2, um, really Ontario's very first uh, um, kind of settler-built highway uh, in in the province. So it's also an, an extremely historic road. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, the reason um, why we've been looking at the legacy of Henry Dundas, uh, I should mention, is uh, in particular because of his role in uh, in prolonging the slave trade 
in Great Britain and the British Empire. Mm -hmm. uh, Dundas's role in this was to bring forward an amendment to abolition uh, legislation in 1796. Um, and he uh, brought that motion forward, announced his support for it, but demanded that in order to pass, it must include the word gradually in the legislation. Mm. Now, of course, gradually had no time frame attached to it. Mm. And so it really became whenever it was convenient for the British Empire right. and, uh, and the various financial interests uh, involved in mm -hmm. the slave trade uh, who were among Dundas's friends and professional associates. Right. Yes, uh, of course. So you then decided to do something and you decided to start this petition. W what steps did you take? Uh, realistically, I made the petition in a few moments uh, <laughs> and put it up on uh, on my Facebook account. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, um, I'm certainly, you know, I didn't expect for it to take off as it has. Uh, we're at like 12,000 signatures and counting, mm -hmm. um, nor for it to have such a kind of immediate impact in in terms of being addressed by uh by the municipal government here yeah. in toronto that's right uh within under 48 hours of the petition being launched uh the mayor had already commented on the petition and uh had ordered a the city manager to convene a working group uh in partnership with the uh the city of toronto's confronting anti-black racism unit and the uh, City of Toronto's Indigenous Affairs Office uh, to kind of explore uh, the potential or the process around renaming, uh, I would assume, not only Dundas Street, but other mm. uh, kind of colonial uh, uh, reminders uh, here in Toronto. And, and that, of course, uh, is, is happening. I'm sure that that from your your uh, your petition and from comments you've probably received on online, that you're seeing that kind of a reaction that that uh, that other names should be changed as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm also really here for that debate uh, and for that discussion, hmm. um, you know, I think now more than ever, it's a really important time for us to be listening to, uh, black and indigenous voices, uh, as well as the voices of other communities, uh, that represent the kind of diverse character of our city, uh, here in Toronto. Uh, so it's, it's really important also to me that this process to find a new name, uh, yeah. for Dundas right. street, is, is led by those particular communities. Uh, now, you, you're probably aware then that some streets in Toronto um, have already have some Indigenous names attached to them. Uh, yes. Right? So, uh, especially with the Mississaugas of the Credit uh, uh, so entrenched in, uh, and this being their traditional territory specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think it's an excellent move. Uh, and, and a, a welcome move for us to be able to have the opportunity uh, to not only return to traditional names uh, for our streets, for our roadways, for our place names, but also uh, that it's important uh, that, you know, 
um, people be given that opportunity uh, to learn about that. I think mm. it's a really key, to me, it seems like a very key aspect of moving any any discussion of, uh, of reconciliation forward. Mm. Uh, you mentioned uh, a few moments ago that uh, Toronto Mayor John Tory uh, was on board within 24 hours responding. And uh, how surprised were you by that? Uh, yeah, again, um, really surprised. But I think, uh, I think also it speaks to, you know, um, like I say, a broader cultural moment where we're uh, having these discussions and that these uh, uh, discussions are receiving, um, you know, uh, the lion's share of attention right now. Mm. I also want to make very clear as well that I don't see... Um, renaming Dundas Street as like a kind of singular one-off kind of thing. Mm. Um, This is part of a, what I think is, is kind of a a broader um, societal uh, kind of recognition that we need to reorganize our priorities uh, and, and how we uh, look at um, our world broadly. Um, You know, Renaming Dundas Street is part of a broader conversation that specifically includes other initiatives, such as, de- uh, you know, defunding the police, uh, dealing with the the uh, legacy of residential schools, uh, implementing uh, the, you know, Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission's call to actions. These are all part of, uh, of the same discussion that we need to be having. Uh, in terms of reorienting how our society is going to function in the future. Andrew, I really appreciate you saying that because we wouldn't want, uh, as you just pointed out, people to get the impression that, all right, we're going to rename Dundas Street and we're going to take down the statues and we've done our part now. We've, we've ended this conversation. This is only, as you say, a part of it and it's a small part of it, but it's a good way to start and get people engaged and get people thinking and get, get change happening. Thank you. Yeah, I, I really do feel feel that way. Um, you know, so often a lot of people have said to me, you know, I mean, certainly I've received overwhelming support for this initiative. And I think, you know, um, you know, as as the descendant of of uh, settlers here in Ontario, it is my responsibility to try and do the best that I can within, uh, you know, the uh, the particular uh, skill sets and and knowledge sets that I have to advance that uh, conversation. Um, that being said, um, yeah, I'm I'm really hopeful um, that you know this is something that doesn't just get buried in a committee. I think it is mm. the beginning of a process where we have to continue to hold our leadership accountable. Uh, in in moving forward, not just with this, but with some of the other uh, initiatives that that I mentioned as well. I'm glad you mentioned leadership because I certainly hope that, just like you said, that this committee also doesn't uh, interpret this, uh, and and hopefully the the leaders like the municipal leaders, uh, John Tory, uh, don't don't think that great. We we've done our part as well. 
you know, we did this, great, we can move on. Uh, you know, just as uh, I see also that you, you've had uh, Andrea Horvath uh, comment as well on this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been great. I, I think, um, you know, the other thing that's important to mention is, you know, especially when addressing kind of criticisms around, uh, you know, the symbolic nature of, of renaming, mm. um, you know, just because there are other things that we need to do doesn't make this an either or proposition. Mm. Like we can do lots of things all at once mm -hmm. together. <laughs> and I think that's a real important thing. We, we do it all the time. Mm. So, you know, that kind of argument, you know, that, uh, well, we should not do this, but we should also do this is, is a bit, a bit spurious to me. Uh, in in terms of debate, mm -hmm. um, certainly impressed to, that the um, uh, that the petition reached the ears all the way up to the provincial government, as well as uh, that the deputy prime minister commented on it mm -hmm. uh, a few days after launch as well. So, I mean, it's exciting that we've been able to have this conversation. I'm also really excited as as an artist who's also interested in ideas of public memorial and commemoration and identity and how we relate to those things. It's been really exciting and encouraging to be able to, over the last uh, week or so, have really nuanced conversations uh, in public uh, about the nature of public memory and commemoration and history and how we construct those particular narratives uh, culturally. Right. My guest is Andrew Lockheed. He has uh, started a petition and uh, to rename Dundas Street. Please do not go away because we will be right back with more right after this. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. I'm just going to let everyone know you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as ELMNTFM and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. My guest is Andrew Lockheed. He is... Uh, started a petition and uh, to rename Dundas Street. And you can uh, find out more by going to hashtag rename Dundas Street. Uh, he's also just mentioned that he's got about uh, 12,000 people that have signed up to this uh, petition already. Uh, you can uh, find out more by going to that, to hashtag rename Dundas Street. Get, in, get involved with part of this conversation. Uh, maybe you're from another part of the province or another part of the country where uh, you have something similar uh, taking place. It, Andrew, you pointed out earlier that this is not a, a, a single uh, uh, idea. Uh, pe other people, other statues ha and uh, things are going on of this nature around the globe. We've seen this, as you pointed out earlier. Uh, it's reaching other parts of the country and people are having these conversations right around the world. And it's it, it seems to be something that is gaining momentum. And I, and I, I guess about time, uh, putting focus on things that have been looming for many uh, uh, black indigenous people uh, and people of color uh, that has been uh, sort of affronting uh, them as they, they walk down the street and see these statues that have not been kind to them in the past. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really important, again, that we 
you know, as street name is a significant honorific. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it's a really good example of how colonial power has continued to manifest itself to us hmm. er, in, in this day. I mean, you can see in the, in the sometimes violent responses uh, to initiatives such as these, how mm. deeply entrenched mm -hmm. uh, that po those power structures are, right? Mm. Um, you know, that, uh, you know, that Dundas, a man who never set foot in this country, has no relationship to mm. the history of Canada whatsoever, mm. other than happening to be friends uh, with John Graves Simcoe, who is the British colonial administrator right. for Upper Canada. Other than that relationship, there is actually no reason we should have a Dundas Street. Mm. And what's made worse is the fact that, uh, you know, he is a person who created uh, the conditions uh, for which over half a million people uh, remained in bondage and tens of thousands died um, and that he created those conditions and allowed that to ha continue on unchecked for over 15 years mm -hmm. uh, is is a significant thing and you know often another argument that that I've been on the receiving end of like is that well we no longer have a relationship to Dundas. It's just a word. It's mm. not even a person anymore mm. because we don't know who that is. Right. And and I think that's a particularly dangerous way to think about that right. because words, as we clearly know, have immense symbolic power. Right. And if you if you didn't uh, if you didn't care about them so much, like you really wouldn't be opposed to to the name change. Mm -hmm. Uh, when you were when you were describing that, what came to mind was uh, the Second World War and and the the Nazis. Uh, I was just doing my job. I was just doing what I was yeah. told. It, it's that yeah. escapism of of using that as an excuse. Yeah, I exactly, I exactly. It's uh, you know, it it's a willful denial mm. of how we participate in a broader. Uh, system of, you know, racism and a broader legacy of colonialism. Um, you know, when we talk about the power of words, I mean, Dundas's own life and his, uh, his gradual abolition are the perfect example of how powerful words are. Mm. In this case, just one word, yes. gradual. Gradual, yes you know, condemned tens of thousands uh, and and over half a million to a continu continued life of bondage. When we consider that the average life expectancy of a slave at that time was like 22 years, mm. 15 years is incredibly significant. Sure. Very true. These are all good points. Um, uh, so at, at this point, what? How many are you? Are you? Do you have a number in mind for what you're looking for in terms of getting names on the petition? Right now, we're just looking for as many names as possible. Um, the petition is going to be formally presented at uh, City Council on the 29th. I've been working with a number of councillors' offices uh, to to make sure 
that uh, the petition will be delivered to council. Mm. Uh, so the petition is going to remain up uh, through the duration of the working group's uh, kind of mandate. Uh, a report will be due in 30 days from that particular working group. Uh, so during this time, I think it's really important that we continue to hold that particular group accountable. So I think it's important that we still collect signatures during, during the time that the working group is on. Now, there will be a formal presentation to, uh, to City Council on the 29th. Uh, that being said, as I mentioned, we're going to continue to collect signatures, but if you want yours specifically to be amongst those delivered to Council, make sure you get it in uh, before uh, the uh, the end of the weekend of the uh, 26th, 27th, 28th, and definitely before Monday, the 29th morning. Of June. Of June. All right. It, now, when you say hand it over for formal presentation, how do they, do you, do you know, what are the limitations in terms of signatures? Can they be anyone from anywhere, or do they have to be people from the greater Toronto area? How does that work, do you know? I mean... I think at this point, because what we're looking at, um, it particularly within the, the renaming mm. process, um, the city already has a, a established protocol for how streets are renamed. Mm. The working group that's been, been convened is operating largely outside of this process. Mm -hmm. So what I would say to people is that Every, every signature counts at this point. Mm. I mean, we want to show uh, significant local support. Mm -hmm. uh, so Toronto signatures, extra important to see out there. But other, other support initiatives or other signatures can demonstrate a broad public support outside of the area uh, as well. And mm. what we want to do with this petition is to demonstrate support for the process mm. And uh, and I think in this case, every every name helps. You know, something popped into mind as you were talking about signatures. Uh, and I just thought, can a group, you know, assign as one signature to say we represent this uh, group or organization? I was, I was specifically thinking of, say, um, indigenous uh, communities, you know, or, or sure. something like that that could say, you know, now maybe they have to have that uh, that okayed from their community, but uh, that wouldn't hurt, I guess. No, I don't think so. Um, you know, also sharing out the uh, link to the petition, mm. very helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if uh, if people want to or organizations, uh, you know, say, say like band councils or something mm. like that, want to share mm -hmm. um, the the petition to their their individual members as mm -hmm. well, would mm -hmm. certainly welcome something like that. Mm -hmm. And um I guess if this is successful and it's accepted, the next step, of course, would be what to name the street. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That that is definitely definitely the question, and it's been one that uh, you know has been pitched to me a lot in the last little while. And I'll I'll give you the answer that I've told everyone else who has asked me. You know, well, what do you think it should be called? And uh, I've always been been quite firm in the assertion it's not for me to decide mm. uh, this is what i'm hoping to achieve as a process and at in that process 
you know, um, again, we've got to be listening uh, to Black Canadians, uh, to our Indigenous mm -hmm. elders, mm. um, to uh, other communities of color uh, in, in our city here. And I think it's important that those communities are uh, at the forefront of the naming process mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and that we, we can take our leads by listening to them. And again, I appreciate you saying that they and all those people definitely need to be involved. Absolutely. Uh, their voice is extremely important. And I guess the other thing that is coming to me from this is, you know, in, in a way, I think this is a, a very kind of uniting and sort of uplifting way to uh, 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 to move into the future as a as a as a community, as a united community, and as a way of so showing support for for all for all people, and specifically those that have been left out or marginalized in, in our community or, uh, since Confederation. I, I really. You know, it, it really makes me happy to hear you say that, David, and, and I really, really appreciate that uh, sentiment because, of course, that's exactly what a hope is accomplished uh, from, from this process. Uh, you know, it's a great thing to be able to move forward, uh, you know, whilst remembering the painful legacy of colonialism, uh, in in our particular uh in in our country here mm. um but also being able to uh, symbolically break free of that mm. and to embrace a uh, a new reality moving forward and a reality based on mutual respect a reconciliation and healing mm -hmm. I don't know why COVID-19 popped into my mind. It seems that uh, th th this negative thing that has happened to us on a global scale, uh, very unfortunate and tragic for many people that have perished because of this. Uh, but it seems, you know, there's always there's always some something that comes out of it in a positive way. And I don't know if this situation has allowed us to uh, take a step and take a pause to allow us to look at things differently. I'm not sure if that plays into this at all, but perhaps. I, I think it really does. You know, I've had the opportunity uh, to have uh, some conversations uh, with Dr. Melanie Newton uh, from the University of Toronto. Mm. Um we've both been kind of doing a lot of media appearances mm. around uh, the Dundas petition. Mm. Um, and uh, her, she is a particularly an expert in uh, the uh, Afro-Caribbean experience um, it, it, during the uh, transatlantic slave trade. Uh, and, you know, she mentioned to me something that, that I, you know, really, really hit home for me uh, in particular is that, you know, largely uh, this particular moment, this moment has allowed, you know, um, uh, white settler populations to, for the first time, kind of really confront, uh, you know, what it means to live in kind of a post-apocalyptic world mm -hmm. um and to to her uh speaking here she's like that has been the reality of experience uh for for black and indigenous persons 
um, you know, mm. for generations. Mm. And so this has really been an opportunity, I think, uh, the global pandemic for people to to confront these particular legacies because they're now, uh, particularly for, for um, settler communities, to confront these uh, particular legacies because now they're faced with it themselves. Mm. Good point. Uh, the word confront. I think that that's what does need to happen uh, with with uh, with history, with uh, Canada's history, with both Black and Indigenous and people of colors, uh, and what has happened to them. That it is, uh, as you say, the uh, non-Indigenous, the white population, the settler population, uh, to confront it, to look at it, and look at it in a very realistic way, and and uh, say. Uh, we are part of this, and we have to be part of the solution as well. Absolutely. I, I really believe that. Thank you. Andrew, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you about this, and uh, we thank you for uh, getting this, uh, this, this uh, you know, petition to rename Dundas Street going. We wish you all the best of it, and, and uh, hopefully to get, you get as many uh, people to sign up on this petition as possible. It, once again, it's a hashtag rename Dundas Street for anyone out there that is interested in going to look at this and uh, signing their name up or finding out more and getting involved with the conversation. Andrew, we're just about to wrap up. Any final words or comments? Uh, no, just just that it's been an absolute pleasure to be on with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Our pleasure. Andrew Lockheed, and he is the person who started the Rename Dundas Street uh, petition. Hashtag Rename Dundas Street. You can find out more there. And that is uh, our show for today. So thank you, our listeners, for listening wherever you might be. And of course, we'll have more shows for you daily, right here Monday to Friday on Moment of Truth and Element FM. And we'll see you then. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.